stress affects every single one of us. It affects our bodies, it affects our minds, it affects our emotions, and it affects our spiritual life. And tonight we want to share with you basic principles in dealing with the stresses of your life. Rest is a gift given from God that actually restores our emotions, invigorates our minds, and stabilizes our emotions. So rest comes from God. It restores us physically, mentally, and spiritually. When we enter into rest, there is that restoration process that takes place in every area of our beings. Researchers at the University of Warwick and University College in London have discovered that lack of sleep can more than double the risk of death from cardiovascular disease. So if you're burning the candle on both ends, uh, staying up late at night, midnight, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, pressing yourself at work, stressed out, getting up early in the morning, you're increasing the risk of coronary heart disease. These researchers went on to notice something else about a lack of sleep in health that is extremely significant. Professor Francisco Cappuccino, University of Warwick, noted that short sleep has been shown to be a risk factor not only in heart disease, but in weight gain, hypertension, and type 2 diabetes. If a person is getting lack of sleep, they're much more likely to eat more, snack more, and gain weight. They're much more likely to be afflicted with hypertension, and they have a higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. So lack of sleep affects every area of our bodies. Let's take a look at some of the things that sleep difficulties are closely associated with. If you go on the left of the chart, psychiatric disorders. Now, this does not mean that these are all caused by lack of sleep. Sometimes psychiatric disorders cause lack of sleep, and sometimes lack of sleep contributes to a poor mental state of mind. But sleep difficulties are associated with the psychiatric disorders of depression, alcoholism, bipolar disorder. People who get lack of sleep are much more likely to have destructive habits in their life, like alcoholism. Growth suppression, if you have lack of sleep, particularly in children, it causes growth suppression. The impaired immune system, we'll talk about that a little later. Lack of sleep contributes significantly to a reduction of the immune system's ability to deal with disease. Diabetes type 2 as well. On the right-hand side, if you have lack of sleep, you are more likely to have irritability. One person whom I talked to said, when I sleep too little, I'm like a car speeding down the highway with no brakes emotionally. When I sleep too little, I tend to have my nerves frayed. They tend to be on edge. I tend to be more confrontational. So the research indicates, as we go back to the screen, that sleep difficulties are closely associated with irritability, memory loss. Students who get lack of sleep in study all night do poorer on their exams than students who get a good night's sleep. Impaired moral judgment. If you have a major decision to make in your life and you are extremely tired, try not to make that decision. Many decisions are made extremely poorly by people who are sleep-deprived. One thing that my wife and I have told our children is that if you've been pushing it hard at school, if you have been working excessively, try to avoid making any major decisions in your life when you're tired and sleep-deprived. When you are sleep-deprived, your reaction time goes down. That's why studies on truck drivers who have been driving the truck 18 hours a day, pulling over in these little rest stops to uh, stop and sleep a few hours, those studies indicate that when truck drivers are sleep-deprived, they are much more likely to have their reaction time down and much more likely to get in an accident. Muscular tremors also come when you are sleep-deprived. The risk of heart disease goes up, and the risk of obesity certainly increases as well. There are some fascinating studies on sleep in the immune system. Sleep loss impairs immune function, and immune challenge alters sleep. In other words, it works both ways. When you get little sleep, you have an immune system deficiency. 
when you have an immune system deficiency, often it contributes to lack of sleep. There have been some studies done in the research labs on rats and mice, and the researchers have discovered that when you look at rats and mice, there's a 20% decrease in the white blood cell count after these rats and mice have been sleep deprived. So the white blood cells, of course, are those blood cells in our body that help us to fight infection and disease. If you have a 20% decrease, that's extremely significant. You become prone to all kinds of infectious diseases and colds. Species that sleep longer in the animal kingdom tend to have higher white blood cell counts. So if you really want to avoid the flu and some of the cold season, if you, the less sleep you get, the more you become vulnerable to these infectious diseases. More than 40% of all Americans sleep less than six hours a night. So that's dangerous. It's like living on the edge of the cliff. Well, you may be asking the question, what can I do to enhance my sleep? There are what we call sleep enhancers and sleep inhibitors. Let's look at some sleep enhancers. If you want to enhance your sleep, regularity is important. If you go to bed at 9.30 one night and 11.30 the next night and 10.30 the next night, the more irregular your sleep patterns are, that is the time of bed you go to sleep, the less likely you are to sleep well. Moderate exercise will help you. Now, I don't mean going out and taking a five-mile jog before you sleep. You're probably not going to do that anyway. But moderate exercise, if you live in a safe neighborhood, going out and taking a walk before you sleep. I've walked in country after country after country in the world in the evening. Some people say, what if you're in a dangerous area? If I'm staying in a hotel, I always like to stay on the fifth, sixth, seventh floor if possible, and I walk up the stairs and down the stairs. I've done that 20, 30, 40 times. Not vigorously, but just to relax my body before we go to sleep at night. My wife and I in some countries have not felt safe to get out of the parking lot of a hotel, so we've walked around the parking lot once and a twice and a three times and a four times. You know, after you do that about 70 times, you are pretty tired or pretty bored, one or the other. Um, so regularity, moderate exercise, a warm bath. I probably take a warm bath 80% of the nights. Uh, after our lecture tonight, I'll go up and lie in the bathtub, take a warm bath, not a hot bath. It helps you a lot to relax those muscles before going to sleep. A darkened room. Um, if you have light shining in the room, that becomes much more difficulty for your brain to register that it's time to go to sleep. Quietness. Now, if you live in a home where you have teenage children and you want to go to bed at 10 and they want to go up to 11 and they've got the music blaring and the TV on, or if you as a wife go to sleep or your husband go to sleep and your wife or husband is up with the TV in the next room, we like to establish basic ground rules in our family. And one is that when one person goes to sleep, the other person respects that by doing something quiet. Doesn't that make sense? Because quietness contributes to it. If you want to sleep well, devotional reading. Often, here's my style to help me sleep. Try to get regular sleep as much as I can. Take some moderate exercise, go for a walk, walk up and down the stairs, do something, take the warm bath in a darkened room with quietness. And then often I read the Psalms before going to bed. Psalms like Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear that the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And so I'll read the Psalms often. And as I read them, I begin to sense that quietness. And then I pray a little bit and drift, drift off to sleep. If you're having trouble sleeping, try following and using some of these sleep enhancers. It'll help you a great deal. Now, here are some sleep inhibitors. One sleep inhibitor is a late-night meal. Uh, if you eat 8, 9 o'clock at night and you go to bed at 9, 30, quarter, or 10, the blood from your brain is uh, being drawn to your digestion, and uh, that pizza that you just had, you know, uh, with those, uh, that heavy cheese, I mean, that's rolling in your stomach. And, uh, you know, when you sleep, your stomach deserves to sleep too, right? And so if you eat a late night meal, that's tough. Uh, caffeinated beverages. If you are drinking uh, coffee or late in the evening or uh, it's a stimulant, uh, Coke, Pepsi, the same, caffeinated beverages are going to tend to keep you up. Late night TV that stimulates you. One of the things that a lot of people try to do is they lie in their bed and watch some TV, thinking that's going to put them to sleep. The, op op the opposite thing actually happens. Late night work. One lady was having difficulty sleeping, and we talked about it, and she said, oh yeah, I, before I go to bed, I spread all my bills out on my bed. 
And I sit there with my checkbook, and I'm making out my check because I have to get it done. I couldn't get it done during the week. I mean, that's really not a stressful activity, paying your bills, right? You think she's going to be able to sleep? What's going on? Her mind is going a million miles an hour as she is making out those bills, and then she's thinking before she goes to sleep about all the ones that she didn't pay. So your bed is not your office. You know, you lie in bed, watch TV, uh, take uh, some food and put it beside you with those hostess twink, with those cupcakes and that sugar stuff and drink a Coke or a cup of coffee. And pretty soon your mind and your body, is you can't sleep at all. Now, there may be some people that have physical factors. And uh, I do not minimize the fact that there are hormonal changes. There are certain physical factors. And there may be some counsel that you need from your physician. So if you are following these principles and you find you still can't sleep, you may want to counsel with your primary care physician. Stress, anxiety, and tension are probably one of the things that keep people awake more than anything else. The society we live in is a stress-filled society. People push themselves to the breaking point beyond limits, like an elastic band that they pull out that is just ready to snap. And uh, that, re that elastic band tends to be there nervous system. And they feel like they're ready to snap, ready to crack. Headaches, tightness in the stomach, muscle tremors, working day in and day out. Is stress a good thing or a bad thing? What is stress? How do you define stress? Stress is our physical, emo mental, emotional, and spiritual response to external stimuli that we face moment by moment every day. It has to do with the wear and tear of life's forces. The only people that do not have stress are dead people. <laughs> stress is a matter of life. As long as you live, you are going to experience stress in life. Now, is stress good or bad? What do you think? What do you think? Is stress good or bad? Well. Let's suppose that I was taking a hike in the forest, and as I rounded a corner, I saw a bear with its cubs, and the bear saw me. And I was between the bear and her cubs, and the bear began to chase me. Immediately, my heart begins to beat faster. My blood vessels open wider to pump so that more pumpkin blood can be pumped through them. My pupils dilate so I can see the tree branches as I'm running and they're flying by. My muscles are like spring steel and I'm running and a bear is chasing me. We call that being under what, everybody? Stress. Being under stress. Is stress good or bad? If a bear is chasing you through the woods, are you with me? If a bear is chasing you through the woods, stress is what? Good. But if you get up in the morning and mental bears are chasing you all day, and your heart's beating all day, you feel tense all day. This is what somebody said to me one time, you know, pastor. I wouldn't mind if a bear chased me once in the woods, but when I feel like three bears are chasing me all day, that's what the problem is. Stress can be good or bad. Stress can be good in short bursts to motivate action. But it's damaging to our health if it's persistent and continual. If I'm a student before I take an exam and I'm under some stress, that's good because it can motivate me to study. If I get too casual about taking the exam, I may not do well at all. If I'm a violinist and I have a little stress before a concert, that may not be bad at all. If I'm working in a business and there's a problem, I have a little stress to solve it. So if stress is in a short burst, it's okay. But it's this continual heavy laden stress that totally wears you out. Now, how can you manage life stress? So there's some principles. Well, these principles of creation health that we've been talking about help us to manage life stress. Exercising regularly will help you to manage the stresses of life. It helps to neutralize some of the negative chemicals that our brains dump into our bodies. So exercising regularly. If you eat a diet high in fiber, Mrs. Finley's whole 
wheat bread is a stress buster. It's been busting my stress for years. So eat a diet whole, high in fiber and whole grains. Vitamin B complex vitamins are really helpful. Thiamine, riboflavin. Dr. Ray Williams did the early studies in the 1940s. And uh, vitamin B complex, what he did, interesting, out of the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Williams did this. There was a group of nurses working in the hospital that worked together as a team. They had been working together for 10 or 12 years. They functioned adequately as a team. He took half of them and uh, deprived them of vitamin B complex vitamins, particularly thiamine. He took the other group and uh, give, gave them adequate thiamine. Within a period of 60 days, these women who, could, who were working together as a team previously were arguing, they were debating, they were filled with anxiety and tension, they're having a difficult time relating as a team, doing common tasks in the hospital. He reinforced their diets with thiamine, but vitamin B complex, and I'm not suggesting vitamin supplements in this area, that's not the point at all. My point is that if you eat adequate vitamin B complex, it will help to stabilize the nervous system. It's very helpful. Avoid artificial stimulants. Uh, the more caffeinated beverages you use, the more sugar in the diet. The more it depletes vitamin B and the more problems you're going to have. Um, four, use water freely. Drinking adequate amounts of water is going to help to stabilize the nervous system. Uh, shower in the morning, shower in the evening, uh, adequate bathing, taking a swim. Um, if I have been on a lecture circuit and I'm particularly tense, I have access to facilities where I can take a steam bath, extremely helpful. We call this hydrotherapy. Water treatments are very, very helpful in relieving stress. You can do it in your own home, taking a bath of water. When I help people quit smoking, you know what I tell them? If you feel stressed and you want to take another cigarette, get in the shower. I never found a person smoking in the shower yet. Um, <laughs> fifthly, choose a positive attitude. Businessman in Chicago, working in one of the Chicago high-rises, was walking out of his Chicago building with a friend one night. He went to, went to buy the newspaper. And uh, the old guy selling the newspapers on the street had been there for 20 years. And this guy had bought newspapers from the same guy for 20 years, every night. And uh, the guy selling the newspaper was a real crotchety guy, one of these guys that nothing ever went right in his life. He was negative all the time, negative about the weather. It was either too cold or too hot. It was too snowy or too rainy. Negative about his customers. They didn't give him enough tips. He was the most negative guy. And so the businessman went to buy a newspaper, and the guy just spouted off at him, gave him a number of negative comments. And this guy just smiled and said, hey, buddy, have a good day. I hope tomorrow goes better. And his friend said, why in the world do you go to that guy to buy newspapers? I would have lashed out at him if he said to me what he said to you. And the businessman, John, said, I've been buying newspapers from him for 20 years. He hardly ever changes. But I don't let him determine my attitude. I don't let him determine my attitude. You can choose to relate to a positive attitude. Sixth, refocus your thought patterns. You want to deal with stress, refocus your thought patterns. When I'm under a real stressful situation, here's what I do. I say to myself, how important is this? Let's suppose you're having a very heavy confront confrontation with a wife or a husband. Now, you don't ever have those heavy kind of discussions where a little tension arises and the temperature in the room tends to go up. <laughs> well, let's suppose it's with a work colleague. Ask yourself this question, how important is this? How will I remember this a week from now? Will I remember this two weeks from now? Will I remember this a month from now? Refocus, refocus, refocus. Refocus the importance. Refocus the values. Refocus how significant this thing really is. Seven, develop a trusting heart. You know, one of the things about reducing stress in our lives is understanding that there's a creator God that made us, a creator God that loves us. I love that old prayer from Augustine centuries ago. Read it with me, please, from the screen. Lord, our hearts will never find rest until they find rest in you. There is something about sensing that the Creator God fashioned us and made us and that we are His. Resting in this loving Creator that helps to reduce the stress of our life. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. You are not a genetic accident. You're not merely skin-covering bones. You're not merely chromosomes that are a collection of DNA molecules. When God created you, He fashioned you and shaped you.
And the Bible says that God said, let us make man or woman in our image. You were created in the image of God. And the God that named all the stars and every one of the animals. This God cares for you and he loves you. In spite of the stresses and the tension and the worry that we face in life, we can sense that there is a creator God that's interested in us and the details of our lives. This God does not promise that everything will always go well for us in life. There are times that natural disasters take place. We live in a world of good and evil. We live in a world of health and sickness. We live in a world of sorrow and joy. We live in a world of life and death. We live in a world where there's a great controversy between good and evil. But in spite of the tears, in spite of the heartache, in spite of the sorrow, understanding that there's a loving God that created us and fashioned us and made us relieves our stress and our anxiety. Now, science, scientific research recently is confirming the fact that people who have a strong faith seem to do much better in their overall coping abilities. Let me show you some of the latest research that's coming out. Dr. Herbert Benson from Harvard University has written recently that faith can reduce anxiety and blood pressure. Here's what Dr. Benson said. He said, our genetic blueprint has made believing in an infinite absolute part of our nature. We are wired for God. So Dr. Benson in Harvard said, as I study neuroanatomy, as I study the function of the human brain, there's a genetic blueprint that indicates we're wired for God. The psychiatrist Carl Jung, who at the time was an unbeliever, an atheist, looked at human nature and he said, although I do not believe in God at this time of his life, he said, people do better if they act as though God is there. He was speaking from a psychological standpoint. Now, now further genetic studies on, on, further studies on neuroanatomy indicate that in the amygdala of the human brain, there is what we call the spirituality center. So there is this hungering in the heart for God. I remember I celebrated my 21st birthday in the jungles of Brazil. And we were taking an ambulance from the Red, for the Red Cross from Belém, Brazil, to Fortaleza. And I was 500 miles in the jungle, and the ambulance broke down. We're going down a, a dirt road, and the driver went to shift in to um, the third gear, and he missed the gear and shifted into reverse. And so we uh, stripped all the crankcase out, and uh, it was terrible. We're in the middle of the jungle, and eventually they had to fly in a helicopter to, to help us out. But we were there, and this was, you know, in 1965. And we had, I was 21, so you figured how old I was, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm still young at heart. I'm following the principles of creation health. So, you know, I was there with an Indian tribe, and we hadn't eaten in three days. And, uh, you know, I was 21 uh, at that point in my life. Uh, if I didn't eat in a while, and I was starving, and I was 21 years old, I had never missed too many meals in my life. I was athletic, and, and um, we met some Indians from the Crocodile tribe. And one of these Indians promised to take me to his village to get something to eat, and so we began to go. One of the things I noted about this Indian tribe is that far from civilization, they had a sense of the Creator God. They were never taught that by anybody, but it was built into the fabric of their beings. And that's the way we were made. We were made to trust. We were made to sense that life is more than a joke and a as Shakespeare said, a tale told by an idiot in the sound of fury. You know, Herbert Benson is right. Now, I don't buy everything Herbert Benson says. You know, you go down some of these pathways and they may lead you to new age, contrary to biblical values. But Benson was a great researcher and he says our genetic blueprint was made believing in an infinite absolute. And that's part of our, our nature. Dr. Harold Koning of Duke University has been studying the relationship of faith and depression in people over 55. How many people are over 55? Don't raise your hand, please. You don't look that old at 55. Nobody's older than 55 here. Okay, Dr. Dr. Harold Koning of Duke University studied the relationship on faith and depression in people over 55. His research was published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. Here's what he says. Among depressed patients, depression severity was associated with lower religious attendance, less prayer, less scripture reading, and lower intrinsic religiosity. In other words, if you want to have a positive, cheerful spirit, go to church. 
It's healthy for you to do that. That's what Dr. Koning said. Less prayer, less scripture reading, less intrinsic. If you want to live to a healthy hundred, faith is not simply something for wild-eyed religious fanatics and kooks. Faith brings health and life to the body. Why? Because we sense that we can trust a loving creator who fashioned us and made us. Coney goes on. In summary, older, medically ill, hospitalized patients with depression are less religiously involved than non-depressed patients or those with less severe depression. I love the way the Bible puts it. Can you read it with me, please? Philippians 4, verse 6. Let's read it. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In other words, stop worrying. There's a God that loves you and cares for you. Proverbs 12, verse 25 reads, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. In other words, if you're filled with worry and anxiety, it's simply going to cause you to be more depressed. David Larson, who was the former president of the National Institute for healthcare research, talks about the relationship of faith when you go through catastrophic events in your life. And Larson says this, catastrophic events can bring on so much stress in your life that you end up with illness. So the ability to handle that stress with a worldview that interprets it in a way that lets you say, God is teaching me through this, is beneficial. What I might view from one side as pain and suffering is from God's side an opportunity for us to be closer to Him. If the situation is reinterpreted as something where I get to know God in a better way or as a situation which deepens my spiritual life, that's taking the cutting edge off stress. What is Dr. Larson from the National Institute of Health saying? Here's what he's saying. If when you go through a traumatic experience, the death of a spouse, cancer in your life, a divorce. Do not look at those events as good. Those events may be part of a world of evil. So we do not think everything in life is good. But we reinterpret it and we say, even when evil occurs in this world, I can still trust God. Even when I face sorrow, I can still trust God. In all of this sorrow, I reinterpret it because God is going to work in my life in some way to draw me closer to Him. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. Let's read it together. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. There is a peace that passes. Oh, understanding. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. So when we have that trusting heart, what does it do for our health? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It will. This is this idea of trust. It will be health to your flesh. So trust, according to Proverbs, brings health to our body and strength to your bones. You know, I wondered what that meant strength to your bones. One of my physician friends explains that your bones are not hard, they're porous. And there's fluid movement through every bone in your body. When you are stressed out, it interrupts the very delicate fluid movement through your bones and can bring arthritic patients who are under stress and anxiety and tension have more pain than arthritic patients who are not. Some researchers believe that that's because of fluid movement through bones. So notice what scripture says. It'll be health to your flesh, strength to your bones. A trusting heart is healthy. Psalm 37, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says a lot about physical health. Rest or trust in the Lord. Wait patiently from Him. Cease from anger. Do not fret. What does it mean to fret? What's that fretting business about? What's fretting? Do not fret. Do not worry. Do not be filled with anxiety. Why? Read it with me. Do not fret. It only causes what? Harm. So worry, anxiety, and tension break down the immune system. A trusting heart builds up the immune system. Worry, stress, and tension break down our ability to fight disease and prepare us to receive disease. A trusting heart is health 
for the entire body. Now, what does trust mean and what it doesn't mean? Trust does not mean we'll always understand. Many times in life, things happen to us that we don't understand. Trust doesn't mean that we're always going to like what's happening to us. A lot of times, we're not going to like what's happening to us in life. Trust doesn't mean that I deserve what's happening. Have you ever had a person say, this is not fair. Why did this happen to me? I don't deserve this. Trust does not mean that you're going to like what's happening. It doesn't mean that you're going to understand what's happening. And trust doesn't mean that you believe you deserve what's happening. Trust doesn't mean that you believe that God caused what you're going to go through. We're in a battle between good and evil. There are two forces in the universe, the forces of good and the forces of evil, the forces of Christ and the forces of Satan. So God wants only good for you. God desires only good for you. But even when there is evil that occurs, God works for your best good in harmony with that. What is trust? Trust is believing. Read it together with me from the screen. Trust is believing that God loves me and always desires my best good. That he is the creator God that made you and fashioned you. Trust is understanding that God will cause me to triumph even in life's most difficult times. When you are going through a difficult time in your life, say to yourself mentally, God loves me and desires only my best good. This stress-filled, difficult time is going to pass. And I am going to come out of this triumphant. Can you say with me tonight, I will triumph by God even in difficulty. Together, I will triumph by God even in difficulty. Again, together, I will triumph by God even in difficulty. Trust is having confidence in God's care. Even if I don't understand what I'm going through. You know, the Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. One of my colleagues, when we were with It Is Written Television, is Sandy Wyman Johnson. Sandy sang for us on the air and sang across America with her magnificent uh, contralto voice. Sandy's son, Trevor, got a very strange case of blood cancer. One of only a very few cases in America. And this little boy at seven years old was dying. And Sandy tells how people over America prayed for him, but he was still dying. She tells the story of holding him in her arms and rocking him back and forth and back and forth. And she said, is there anything I could get you, Trevor? And he said, yeah, Mommy, you could get me something. You know one of those things that have those little cocoons where the butterflies hatch? Mommy, I'd like one of those. And so she got that butterfly set with the little cocoons and put it in Trevor's room, this little boy dying of cancer. And the day came that they were going to hatch. And he said, Mommy, they're going to hatch today. Can we take them up on the roof and watch the butterflies fly away? So they took the little boy and put him in a wheelchair, and the nurses came up, and Sandy held his hand on the top of the roof, Southern California, beautiful blue sky day. And one butterfly hatched, and another one hatched, and another one hatched. And they began to fly away. And Trevor looked over at his mommy and he said, Mommy, don't worry about me. Seven years old. Mommy, don't worry about me. Because I'm going to be like one of those butterflies. One day when Jesus comes, my grave is going to open and I'm going to fly away. Mommy, don't worry about me. Sandy told me later, she said, Mark, I just cried and cried and cried. And then I read in the Bible, you can have a peace that passes understanding. And I knew that I could never explain what happened to my little boy but I could trust God, and God has given me a peace, although I don't understand. You may be going through something in your life right now that's traumatic. You may be watching my Hope Channel, it's really traumatic. You've been diagnosed with cancer. That lump on your breast is cancer, and it's become malignant, and you have little time to live. You've been diagnosed with that. I want to talk to your heart today. You may go through the trauma of a divorce. You may be laid off. You may be here in Florida, and you can't pay the mortgage. And your house is worth a lot less now than when you paid it. And you don't know how you're going to handle all that. I can't explain all that to you. But I can lift up a God to you that knows. A God that loves. A God that cares. A God that some way is going to get you through all that. Because there's a peace that he wants to give you tonight. That passes all understanding. What is trust? It's resting in his love. It's experiencing his peace, even in the toughest times of life. You can have that joy 
and that peace in your life. Trust is depending on God as my best friend, knowing He'll never let me down. The God that causes the sun to rise and set every day. The God that causes the flowers to bloom and the birds to sing. The God that causes the tides to come here and come no further. This almighty, all-powerful God has not forgotten you. He'll give you peace as you turn to Him tonight. Here's an example of trust. When I was in his written television for many years, 12 or 13 years, we had a weekly television program. One day I got a letter from a lady. I'll call her Maria, not her real name. And Maria said, Pastor Mark, you talked about peace. You talked about trust. Let me tell you my experience. I had a three-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. And I was in the kitchen cooking. And as I was, I kept my eye on my kids. But for just three, four, five minutes, I, I got involved in my cooking and I thought the back door was locked, and it wasn't. And they went out on the screen porch. And Pastor Mark, they fell in the swimming pool. And my three-year-old, my five-year-old died in the swimming pool. They drowned. She said, I was devastated. For weeks and months, I was locked in depression. Can you imagine that kind of trauma? Can you imagine that woman knowing that she had forgotten to lock the door? She took her eyes off her children for five minutes. Anybody could have done that. And the five-year-old daughter and the three-year-old son died. And she said, I kept blaming myself and blaming myself. And then I sensed that this was Satan's attack. Not only to destroy my children, but to destroy me. It was his attack on my life to bring great depression, to destroy my health. And in her letter, these are her words that she wrote to me. She said, now I hunger and thirst after God because of my love for Him. I know what it means to depend on Him fully, to seek Him with my whole heart, to love Him with my inmost being. And I love this part. I know how it feels when God touches your soul and comforts you. I know how it feels to rest my head on His bosom. She said, in the tears when they flowed from my eyes and my heart was so broken, I learned to rest my trust in my anxiety in that God that loved me and cared for me. Here are three steps to increase your faith if you're going through trauma. Number one, daily meditate on the fact that God loves you and desires you no harm. Say, God, you love me. Even in spite of what I'm going through, you don't desire me harm. I love Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good. To those that love God and to those that are called according to His purpose. I don't understand that text, but I believe it. I do not understand it, but I believe it. It doesn't say all things are good, does it? Because there are many bad things that happen. It says all things do what? Work together for good. I don't understand how cancer can work together for good. I don't understand how divorce can work together for good. I don't understand how the death of a three or five-year-old can work together for good. My head does not understand it, right? But by faith I believe it. That even in the darkest trauma of life, God is capable in ways that my mind cannot understand to bring good out of it. Secondly, consciously surrender your deepest cares to God. What care are you facing tonight? What difficulty are you facing tonight? Do you want to rest? Why carry that burden? I love 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. My minor in college was Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. And Casting all your care upon Him. The word for casting is throw the full weight of your anxiety on Him. Have you ever come to bed one night and you stand by the side of your bed and you just throw yourself in and plop? It's kind of like, whew, I'm glad this day is over. You throw yourself in bed. That's the word here. Casting, throw the full weight of your anxiety on God. What are you going through tonight? Let Him carry that burden for you. Throw the full weight of your anxiety on Him. Thirdly, believe that He's lifting the burden off your shoulders right now. So come to him. Believe, that he believe you can trust him. Believe that you can love him, that he cares for you. Believe that he loves you. Throw the full weight of your anxiety upon him and say to him, God, I know you're lifting this burden right now. There's somebody here tonight that you came in this room with a burden. And at the end of the meeting when we pray, I'm going to ask God to take that burden off your heart. I'm going to ask you to, that, that God will help you go out of here with a peace that passes understanding. We can rest in his love. We can rest in his care. And there's something else about rest that is incredibly amazing. I call it the creator's time clock. The creator's time clock. You may or, not be, you may, or may not be aware 
that built into every cell and tissue in the rhythm of the body, there is the creator's time clock for rest. There's a new study, a new science called chronobiology. Now, that's a big word. Let me explain what it means. Chrono is time biology. Weekly rhythms known in chronobiology as circuseptin rhythms are one of the most puzzling and fascinating findings of chronobiology. Circuseptin literally means about seven. At first glance, it might seem that weekly rhythms developed in response to the seven-day week imposed by human culture thousands of years ago. However, this theory doesn't hold once you realize that plants, insects, animals, and other humans also have these cycles of seven. In other words, built into living things is a cycle of seven. It's fascinating. Biology, therefore, not culture, is probably at the source of our seven-day week. In other words, God created Adam and Eve with a seven-day cycle built in their mind and their bodies. Because that's the way God created them, he then gave them the seven-day week with the seventh-day Sabbath to rest, to renew these cycles at the end of that seven-day week, to restore them mentally, to restore them physically, to restore them biologically. The, the leading researcher in this is a man by the name of Franz Halberg. He proposes that the body rhythms of about seven days, far from being passively driven by the social cycle of the calendar week, are innate, autonomous, and perhaps the reason why the calendar week arose in the first place. It's in a book by Jeremy Campbell who, who quotes Halberg. The seven-day cycle is built into the very fabric of our beings. I'll show you that tonight from anatomy and physiology, and I'll show you, also show you from history some fascinating things. Look. Each of the following tends to follow a seven-day cycle. The rejection of organ transplants tends to follow a seven-day cycle. The immune system response to infection tends to follow a seven-day cycle. The regulation of blood and urine chemicals, the regulation of blood pressure, heartbeat, common cold, and coping hormones. Researchers that are dealing in this field of chronobiology that did not exist 15 years ago are looking at the rhythms of the body. Campbell says in his book, The Importance of Time, quoting Halsberg's research, this circa septum or about weekly rhythms are one of the major surprises turned up by modern chronobiology. Fifteen years ago, few scientists would have expected that seven-day biological cycles would prove to be so widespread and so long established in the living world. They are of very ancient origin. They sure are of ancient origin. They come from creation. God put them in our bodies appearing in primitive one-celled organisms and are thought to be present even in bacteria, the, for the simplest form of life now existing. Now you think about it. Where does the week come from? Is the week based in astronomy? Look, the year is the amount of time, everybody, that the earth does what? Orbits the sun once. The month is the amount of time that the moon, come on now, Orbits what? The earth. The day is the amount of time that what happens? The earth revolves around its axis. So you have four basic elements of time. The year, the month, the day. What's the other one? The week. What is the week? Where do you get that from? The week has no basis in astronomy, right? Where does the week come from? The God that made us to function in rhythms of seven and built that into the biological structure of our bodies, gave to us the seven-day weekly cycle so our minds and our bodies and our spirits could rest in Him and we could be renewed physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Our loving Creator has built into the structure of our beings a biological time clock. In fact, that's what Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3 means. And on the seventh day, the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and done. When we rest on the seventh day Sabbath, our minds are renewed because that's the way we were made. When we rest on the seventh-day Sabbath, the organs of our body, the tissues of our body are renewed because we function in those seven-day cycles. And when we rest, our relationship with Him is renewed. When we rest physically, mentally, spiritually, 
We're drawn to Him, to one another. We are whole, whole in our family relationships, whole in our physical, mental, emotional relationships. In an age of stress and hurry, in an age of tension, in an age when we're breaking down, we are called to rest in Him, to trust our Creator, and to discover that Sabbath rest in Him. You know, in the French Revolution in Stalin's Russia, there was the recognition by these atheistic governments that the seven-day weekly cycle was tied to the Bible, tried to belief in a loving creator. So, in the age of reason, the French in 1793 changed the weekly cycle for France, and they established a 10-day week. A new secular, rational week of 10 days was devised and approved by the ruling convention in October of 1793. It was in France, the 10-day week. Why? Because they wanted to get away from the Bible, away from this weekly cycle. Notre Dame Cathedral was renamed the Temple of Reason. What happened? Our Creator knows best. At the end of three and a half years of the 10-day week, in France, people having nervous breakdowns, work productivity went down, divorce was at an all-time high, and the French says, wait a minute, we don't understand why, but this 10-day week business isn't working, we better go back to the seven-day week. The Creator knows best, doesn't he? Stalin didn't learn from the French. The Russians failed to learn their lessons from the French, and you know, Stalin tried to stamp out all semblance of the Bible and Christianity in an atheistic state. You remember Khrushchev said that uh, later in the 50s, after Stalin, he said that uh, religion was the opiate of the people. Well, this is what Stalin did, and here's a calendar from Russia in 1930. He established a five-day work week, and this is the way it worked in Russia in 1930. Society was divided into groups of people, and your group was assigned five days to work. So your group may work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Another group might work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Another group may work Tuesday, Wednesday. So you work five days off one, work five off one, work five off one. At the end of 11 years, production was so disappointing and the epic of irresponsibility in the workplace was so great, Stalin called it quits and he said, forget it. I'm going back to the seven-day week. God knows what? Best! When he gave that seven-day week at creation, built into the fabric of our being, these great health principles. We come to rest on the seventh-day Sabbath and trust in him. It makes all the difference in our lives. We were made to trust in the arms of a loving creator. His arms are wide open for you tonight. He says, come unto me. All you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I love that song, it is well, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, thou hast taught me to say it's well, it's well in my soul. Recently I was in Jerusalem in the American Colony Hotel. The American Colony Hotel was founded by Horatio Spafford, and the original copy of It Is Well With My Soul was handwritten by Spafford, and it was in that American Colony Hotel. Spafford went with a group to become missionaries to Israel back um, in the uh, early 1900s. The story It Is Well With My Soul is really an amazing story. Horatio Spafford was a wealthy businessman in Chicago, and in 1871, the Chicago fire took place and it destroyed most of the city of Chicago and many of the business holdings of Horatio Spafford were destroyed. He spent two years working to help rebuild the city with his family, ministering to the homeless. There were 100,000 people homeless after the Chicago fire of 1871. And Spafford worked to rebuild that city. After two years, he was physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted. He was a good friend of Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey, his singer, were in London holding a large evangelistic campaign for the British and so Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna and his four children four living children four daughters he had a son that died so you can imagine it he lost most of his business holdings in the Chicago fire he had a young son that died so he said to his wife Anna look let's go to London join Dwight Moody for this evangelistic meeting and let's get away 
right at the last minute, a business appointment kept him from joining his wife. He sent Anna on the boat, and as the boat was off Newfoundland, the Haver de Ville, it crashed into another boat and sank. Almost everybody aboard was killed. The four daughters of Horatio Spafford were drowned. Anna clung to some debris and finally was rescued. She wrote a telegram to her husband, Horatio, saved and saved alone. He got a boat. Next passage, went to meet his wife. And as he came to the place where his children were killed, he said to the captain, I want to know where this was, and he showed him. That night he went down he began to write these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever my lot, has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate shed his own blood for my soul. But Lord, it is for thee. For thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. And the clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trumpet shall sound. And the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well. It is well with my soul. Listen as Milton sings. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.